I'd learned to dive the previous winter in a YMCA pool, but my wild water experiences had taken me no farther than an upstate lake and the shallow, murky confines of suburban Long Island Sound. Imagine a young boy, basically a city boy, squatting on his haunches by a fire on the edge of the world. As he shakes off sleep, he gazes out from on high across a seamless expanse of blue vastness, broken only by a far-distant ship, forlorn and apparently inert, its crew no doubt consumed by a serpent or kraken from below. Picture how the boy's hands are shaking as the tools of the coming sea hunter unpacked, his father smiling in anticipation of the kill of blood in the water. Imagine the shivering in the boy's gut as his fear of night monsters is overwhelmingly supplanted by the utterly human fear of a very real unknown. Imagine him so desperately wanting to be back home where his mother will hold him and reassure him that he is, even now, searching in his mind for a make-believe ailment that will keep him on shore and away from that awful blue vastness. Now... Picture the boy an hour or so later, standing on this same promontory, seawater wet and breathless from the climb back up the cliff, diving knife strapped to his waist, and dangling from a stringer, a small blackfish slain by his own hand. Imagine him gazing at that now familiar blue vastness and wanting to be out there again, right away. There are crossroads in one's life, decisions made or not made, acts of will reflecting general directions one is already disposed toward, or in some cases specifically and irrevocably determining those directions, the latter being a true moment of truth, a genuine crossroads. Knowing all that has happened since, it's clear to me that my life would have turned out very differently had I not conquered my fear and entered the water that day. Forty years later, standing by my rig on the cliff watching the lofty beacon at Land's End sweep the silent reach of Big Blue, I found myself dwelling upon my long history with that light. Hundreds of waves ridden on the rocky reefs below it, exploratory dives under the restlessness it surveys, women romanced under its sardonic gaze, safe havens found in its towering lee. After decades of travel to the fairest coastlines on the planet, the stunning panorama before me at that moment was still my unequivocal favorite, and I could not help but wonder if I was seeing it now for the last time. Was I making some awful, irrevocable mistake in my decision to move on? I slept little that last night. The October air was crisp and very clear, the wind light and from the north. Far out at sea to the southeast, the running lights of a single vessel twinkled faintly like a star fallen upon the water. I wondered if it was a local dragger ponderously towing her groundfish net, maybe one of the several boats whose crew I knew and often surfed with. I worry about my fishermen friends when wind and sea turn brutal and fear reigns on deck. From a total of less than a hundred Montauk commercialmen, on average one is lost every year.
A career fisherman who goes offshore for 30 years faces a one in three chance of dying on the job. I myself have had three vessels go down under me, one within sight of Montauk Light, and I deeply, viscerally understand that although the sea is a giver of profound joy, it is the source of great fear and sorrow as well. It was still dark next morning when I turned my rig's nose inland and jounced down a rutted service road to the highway. I was not prepared for the feeling of oppressive sadness, loneliness, and sense of failure that accompanied me on my slow, furtive glide through the town that had been my home for so long. There was guilt, too. I had broken most of the promises I'd made to visit friends before my departure. How do you say goodbye, when in your heart you believe the parting is final? Needing to distract...